Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, with us on the Weekly Standard and the National Review. And the battlefront where he's been taking on Donald Trump is Bill Kristol. So, Bill, how goes the battle? Uh, it's a little early to tell. If, if, if it goes like other efforts to um, take on Donald Trump and point out that he's not a conservative and not a reliable uh, exponent of a lot of the principles we all care about, It'll, it will fail, and Trump will just sail on to even higher poll results. But one hopes that at some point people are willing to step back and uh, put aside their enthusiasm for the fact, the fact that Trump is taking on people they don't like and say, gee, should this guy really be president? Uh, does he really? Would he appoint good Supreme Court justices? Would he carry out a sound foreign policy? Would he, does he care about repealing Obamacare? Does he care about the Constitution or limited government? And so, um, you know, one hopes that the voters take those questions uh, a little more seriously over the next few months now that they have to actually vote. Uh, what has been the feedback so far, uh, either from readers or maybe from your friends in Washington who are part of the establishment club, who, of course, sent you out to kill their uh, enemy? Oh, I forgot. The establishment likes Donald Trump now. It's so hard to keep track these days. It is kind of crazy. And there are like so many different establishments and so many cross, cross currents at this point. There is a good piece in the Washington Post, which does show quotes. It surprised me a little bit. Quotes. Senators, retired senators, lobbyist types, all saying, hey, we can work with Trump. He knows how to make deals. Doesn't, in effect, saying he doesn't really believe in too much. And in effect, saying what's true, that he's a guy who's always worked with whoever the power brokers were in whatever city or business he was operating in. And so, in fact, if you're a K Street lobbyist, you should much prefer Donald Trump to Ted Cruz. And probably also to Marco Rubio or others who may be a little less militant than Ted Cruz, but certainly uh, want to cut government and, and aren't really happy to sit around making deals and uh, participate in crony capitalism. So I do think actually the parts of the establishment, more than I would have expected, are, are coming to uh, are coming to a peace treaty, so to speak, with Donald Trump. They also, those guys, do not like standing up against public opinion or against anything that looks like a trend, and they're just jumping on board. I'd say the reaction to what I um, wrote in the Weekly Standard, and really, more importantly, I'd say Steve Hayes has a longer editorial than mine, a strong one, and Matt Labesh has just a fantastic cover piece. And then I did contribute to the National Review Symposium. The joint, the joint reaction to all that has been um, some people saying, hey, it's great that you're saying this. Uh, some people saying, hey, it's great that you're trying to put this in a broader historical perspective, quoting Bill Buckley, quoting even the Federalist Papers, really talking about um, you know, this is a big moment. We shouldn't just decide, decide it based on you know, what's moved us over the last two weeks or three months. Um, and a lot of other people annoyed and, of course, saying that we're just uh, beating up Donald Trump. He's our best uh, standard bearer, either people who are just saying it in an exasperated and uh, angry way, and some people making an argument. You know, look, he's the guy. He may not have great motives. He may not have a great past, but he will blow things up, and that's what we need right now. Yeah, that is. Uh, it was interesting. I had a uh, elected official in Georgia who endorsed Donald Trump. I spoke to today, and he made an entirely affirmative argument. It was there was no negative, no negative, no uh, go get people and blow them up. It was he's a businessman who's smart. And he uh, is unaffected completely about the Washington, by the Washington system because what does he care? He's got his billions, and uh, he's just going to go in and do what's right for America as he sees it. And the guy acknowledged he disagrees with him on some stuff, and he still said, but I, I want this independent, outside-the-system voice who's going to make people do what they ought to do, which that phrase kind of threw me off a bit from an elected official, but that's where he was. Yeah, there is a little bit. I think this is unfortunate, kind of a strongman appeal with Trump. Uh, you know, I called it, I think, tin pot Caesarism or something like that. Uh, sort of our little Julius Caesar there busting through all the impediments to policy. And you understand why conservatives are frustrated. They've seen Obama go extra constitutional. 
and extra legal. And a lot of the Republican and conservative reaction, including at the Weekly Standard, has certainly been to say, hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. The next president uh, hopefully will be a Republican and won't do that and will restore constitutional limits. A lot of people say, hey, wait a second. Why don't we just do what he's doing and uh, put it right in our direction? And uh, people are awfully exasperated with the political elites and with uh, some aspects of the political system, and some some of their right to be exasperated by. But you really don't want to throw out this this baby with this bathwater. This baby is the Constitution and constitutional forms and separation of powers and the rule of law. And you really don't want to throw that out just because in the last two years or seven years or or 37 years, uh, you know, things have gone awry to some degree. Well, Bill, I'm not trying to suck up to you or the fine folks at National Review, but on behalf of the readers, and I bet a lot of people listen to this podcast, thank you guys for standing up for conservative values and making the case for them. That's one thing that's frustrated me is how much more the focus has been on kind of name-calling and what Donald Trump's record is. And what I saw in the symposium in the Weekly Standard this week is laying out, here are uh, policies and ideas that we honestly believe will make America better, honestly make families more prosperous and our country safer. And those ideas are obviously not part of Donald Trump's makeup, and they deserve to be defended even if Trump ends up winning every state. Those ideas are worth defending. So... Well, actually, I do want to suck up to you. You're my boss, but it's still a good thing either way. Well, it was very nice of you to say that. And look, I think it's important. Look, politics matters. Public opinion matters. And I'm all for adjusting within limits and, and sort of to being cognizant, certainly, of public opinion, what Burke called prejudices even, and trying to figure out how to lead people from where they are to where they maybe should be. You can't just preach in a, some abstract way. But having right. said that, I think at some point you have to draw some lines. I think Trump has gone beyond them, and I just don't see much chance of leading Trump to good conservative outcomes. I think everyone else in the Republican field, I got you know differences with all of them, but you can sort of say, you can see how they could become anything from decent to quite good presidents uh, and advance conservative principles and priorities. I have just have no confidence that Donald Trump would do that. And I think that's what this is about in, in a way. It's not personal. I mean, it is personal because you're judging a person, but it's not personal in the sense that, gee, I don't like his style or, you know, he doesn't talk to me as opposed to the other candidates talk to you or something like that. It really is, I think, about the future of conservatism. It's an interesting moment. You know, I think people should really stop and think seriously about it. Maybe old-fashioned American conservatism, Bill Buckley and my father and a lot of other people in National Review of the Weekly Standard, is kind of passe. Rush Limbaugh said that the other day. It's now we live in a world of nationalism and populism, not of conservatism anymore. But do we just go along with that? Do we try to reach, do we try to say, wait a second, wait a second, before we go off that, down that road, let's think about what that means. So I hope it does cause people honestly to stop and think, even if they don't all agree all agree with me or, or, or with my colleagues. And I hope that what people might do in Iowa is maybe do some strategic caucusing, because if Donald Trump doesn't win Iowa, it really does give an opportunity to shuffle the deck again. And then if other candidates perform well in New Hampshire, you get another shuffle. And who knows, maybe we could have the focus on who would actually be the most conservative president. I will say I'm kind of... Uh, envious, though, in a way of what's happening on the Democratic side, because the standard bearer for the uh, left who think that Hillary is just an old, tired, crony, Democratic machine, Paul, which she is, is someone who's a true believer who's having a lot of fun in this campaign. Bernie Sanders, I think Bernie Sanders may be the happiest warrior uh, uh, across this race. You know, and that's always a good sign for a campaign when a candidate just looks happy, exuberant, and his supporters Look happy. I talked with Jeff Weaver. I don't really know his campaign manager yesterday. We were both on a TV show and we sort of chatted in the green room for a bit. And he seemed cheerful. He doesn't quite believe, I don't think, that 
new CNN poll that has Sanders up eight points in Iowa, which would really be astounding. But he thinks it's competitive there. I think he thinks they have a good chance in New Hampshire. And the debate on the left, I mean, again, what everyone thinks of Bernie Sanders, he has been pretty consistent. He's the guy who's going to expand government control of health care. That's what they believe is a good thing. He's going to move towards what they call Medicare for all. It's really single payer. And Hillary Clinton's in the sort of bizarre position for a progressive of saying, well, Obamacare was great and we should sort of stick with it. But isn't progressivism all about continuing to progress? So from, a, from the point of view of the left, you can, I think Sanders just has a big rhetorical advantage over Clinton as they debate these various issues. And I think we're seeing that take hold a little bit in the campaign. So I do not preclude the possibility of Sanders winning Iowa and New Hampshire. I don't preclude the possibility at that point of all kinds of strange things happening on the Democratic side. But I just wonder, you know, living in the South and knowing the Southern Democrats who, because, you know, most of them are gone, you know, so they're right. going to be voting for Trump in the Republican primaries. There's not a lot of people left in the Southern Democratic voting base other than uh, black voters and then some academic kind of college town, you know, the Research Triangle in, in North Carolina, Athens in Georgia. There's just not a lot of other there there. And uh, that second group is so much smaller than the African-American voting bloc. And what I'm seeing here in Georgia is that they are lined up unquestionably behind Hillary Clinton. They're not even taking another look. Well, that will be the question. That's what the Clinton people will say. And that may be the case, in which case they have a pretty good firewall. And, and they'll probably defeat Sanders, despite his popularity with young, you know, college-educated, uh, uh, upscale white voters. If some of the African-American voters split from their leaders, who are almost uniformly for Clinton, if some of the younger African-American voters decide, hey, you know, what do we owe Hillary Clinton exactly? And it wasn't an awful long time ago that Bill Clinton was president. Um, why don't we get to take a look at Bernie Sanders? That would be a huge moment. I think it's unlikely, as you suggest, but I don't think it's impossible. And I just also haven't seen a Bernie Sanders message that, it seems to be targeted uh, to to those voters. I'm thinking you're right, young African American, uh, you know, college grads, suburban African Americans. But I, I just he hasn't fired that shot. So here's, it's not too early to start, you know, putting markers down. You uh, and our, our friends at National Review have uh, thrown a pebble into the pool of Iowa, and the ripples are going out. We will have more of that for the next ten days or so. What finally happens in Iowa, based on what you know today, Bill? I talked with someone there last night. He said he thought it was just dead even between Trump and Cruz, and a lot depends on the dynamics of their argument over the next week. A lot depends on that Thursday night debate. I'm not a big believer in debates usually making a big difference. People usually watch a debate, and it kind of confirms their, their prejudices or their presuppositions. But various polls do suggest 50%, 60% of the Iowa caucus goers still uh, say they'll change, they could change their mind. I think they will be watching this debate Thursday night. We'll have huge ratings in Iowa, if not everywhere else, and it really could matter. And the uh, Democrats have ginned up a sudden, well, they can't call it a debate because that violates the rules, but a town hall meeting all of a sudden. Gee, it's almost like Hillary Clinton thinks she has to earn people's votes. Yeah, she might end up stronger, actually, from this challenge. That often does happen, but uh, it, she has been such a bad candidate that you do wonder. I mean, we, you and I, the one thing we agreed on, I think, all year, mm -hmm. a year ago, you know, right. actually a year ago, was the country did not really want Bush or Clinton. We were clearly right about Bush. I think we were really right about Clinton. It's just that the dynamics of the Democratic Party didn't present as many challengers as the Republicans presented to Bush. But it really would be amazing if, if – but I, mean, I think Clinton maybe now understands that, though she hasn't really developed a message to deal with the, the country that we're living in. 
I think those are all great points and can't wait to uh, watch the debate. We will have post-debate analysis here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. Bill, have a great weekend. You too, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.